This is Nick from Bike Talk, and Jason Henderson is a professor at San Francisco State University in geography. Jason. Hey. That's right, isn't it? Yeah. So where does your field intersect with, uh, you know, bikes exactly? It's uh, a really good question. So geographers are interested in spatial interaction, uh, in human environment interaction, and myself, I'm particularly interested in uh, the geography of the city and particularly the geography of our transportation, so how it's laid out, how it's organized, but also uh, what what geographers are very interested in, and there's a sub field within geography that, uh, for lack of a better word, is, is called critical geography. And so where, where I come into this is looking at not just how urban space is organized, but who decides and why were those decisions made. And where that takes me is culture, politics, uh, debates over allocation of street space, which is, I guess, that would be my my entry point into uh, mm-hmm. thinking about bicycles, but also public transportation and automobiles and walking and whatnot. Uh, but the the way streets are allocated, the the, the way we decide the lanes, uh, where there's parking, uh, who has access to the streets, curb cuts. That, that that are the entrances to driveways and and parking because parking is a huge uh, sub issue, if you will, of the whole built environment that is often understudied. But um, so my my research, which I, I've come out uh, uh, recently with a book called Street Fight: The Politics of Mobility in San Francisco, is basically looking at all of these debates about the street. So how transit is uh, handled in the streets and how bicycles are handled in the streets and and how automobiles have had this century of hegemonic dominance. And, you know, where this takes me, and I think a, a lot more, more people, is uh, when you get into the political decision-making about street space, I have uh, an interest in the ideological... Uh, underpinnings of the political decision. So I'm interested in political ideology and street space. Uh, and I can I can just give you a, a, a quick sort of synopsis of uh, or a simplification. Um, if we think about the automobile broadly and how it should fit into the city, uh, there's there's multiple ideological and philosophical perspectives about that, but in our urban politics, there's really three dominant ideological perspectives, and, and this holds for, I think, San Francisco, some previous work that I did in the Atlanta area, Los Angeles, uh, New York, wherever. Um, and the, the, the first is that there's a progressive uh, ideological viewpoint, which is that because of the deep social and environmental problems that come from the system of automobility, the government should interact, should regulate the streets in such a way 
as to help privilege other modes of transportation, such as bicycling, because it's a greener mode, public transportation, because it's a greener mode, and there's also all kinds of social equity issues that go with that. So progressives generally support an active government that reallocates the street space away from, you know, this past century of um, car dominance. Now, there's also a neoliberal approach, uh, which harkens back to uh, the, uh, the liberal economic theory of the 19th century, that is, less government, more of a market-based approach. And in its purest form, the neoliberal approach uh, would suggest that the decisions about street space and about cities broadly should be determined through pricing and the market. So, uh, you know, the, the neoliberal uh, position here in San Francisco is actually uh, uh, leaning towards more biking and more public transportation in as much as it is a commodification of urban space because there's this demand, for example, of tech workers to have walkable communities and, and things like that. So there's this interesting political uh, you know, cross-fertilization happening between this neoliberal politics and some of these progressive ideas. And then at the other end of the spectrum is the conservative position about street space, which is similar to the progressive in that the government is active, but it's the government actively ensuring unfettered, inexpensive automobility. So, uh, you know, even people who profess to be socially liberal or, uh, you know, progressive on certain issues, when it comes to their car, when it comes to driving, they exhibit very conservative values um, that, you know, cars should be inexpensive, that access to anywhere in the city should be easy and convenient and high speed. And it, and it speaks to this whole, um, you know, sort of individualist um, responsibility, personal responsibility towards one family is to to cocoon them and move them through the city. There's all kinds of ways I can go with that. But but basically, you know, just to, to sort of simplify here, in the book I kind of break these down. There's, you know, a chapter on each, so there's a lot more to it. But but basically you've got these competing ideological perspectives that I think are more interesting than the individual politicians who, um, you know, come and go. But over the long term, I think it's important to look at these different political ideologies and, and viewpoints about how urban space should be shaped and who should be making those decisions through this lens of these, um, you know, for lack of a better way of putting it, ideologies of mobility. Mm-hmm. So that might be a, well, a handful yeah. there for you. <laughs> but, no, well, it's good. It's a good handful. Um, I'm I'm thinking that well one of the thoughts I'm having is when you talk about neoliberalism. Well, for one thing, that sounds like what I think of as being conservative. You know, let let the market decide. But in, I mean, isn't that kind of the way that conservatives think about it? It is. It is very interesting. But ask yourself this: every time, uh, you know, let's invoke Shoop here. 
uh, every time you start talking about pricing the car through market-based mechanisms like high occupant toll lanes or um, parking pricing um, or, or vehicle miles fee or some sort of uh, pricing mechanism, the fascinating thing to me in, in the politics is this just vitriolic opposition. And it comes often from conservative uh, voices. There's a progressive side, too, which is concerned about the social justice implications. But think Tea Party. Um, you know, their, their, their politics is that the government should ensure cheap, unfettered car use. And so it's an active government. It's not a market. I mean, it's not the car system is is, is far from market based. It's deeply subsidized through both financial and regulatory approaches. And so uh, it's it's interesting. I, I, I think another way to think about the the politics here is um, I'm from the South originally, mm-hmm. and you you might think that neoliberal is conservative, but um, you know conservatives in the South believe in a very active government in shaping what you learn in school. For example, prayer in school, um, sex sex education. So they there are there are very there there on 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 many issues. Conservatives actually do believe in an activist government. Um, now they're they're not necessarily supporting. Taxes, increases that, you know, underwrite mass transportation or anything like that, but they certainly, uh, also protest gas, gas taxes, you know, and, and, and things like that that you would use to, uh, fund, uh, transportation infrastructure. So there's, it's, it's, I, I see this nuance between neoliberals and conservatives that I think is important to bring out into the open because I see it as an opportunity to uh, distinguish the two positions and thus uh, it, it, it clarifies things and I think it gives progressives who are concerned about sustainable transportation and trying to understand these political barriers. I think it, it's a very constructive, useful lens progressive so that they, they better understand what they're up against. That it's not just one monolithic thing, but actually um, the neoliberal and conservative don't always see eye to eye, and they especially don't see eye to eye on transportation policy. Right. Uh, so, well, so, so then sometimes some uh, the um, free market is actually I mean, really the only reason conservatives don't like free market is because it pays for, like, uh, are uh, you know helping helping poor people and you know with education or with jobs and things like that? That's the only time they don't like the free market, but they like it. I mean, that's the time the only time they like. Hmm? It was kind of broken up. I didn't quite oh, hear. Sorry. Sorry. Uh, okay. People like people like the free market when it's going to work in their favor. Well. um Uh, I, I mean, it's, it's, I think it's a little more complicated than that. Um, but, you know, the, the idea that, I think, you know, a conservative viewpoint about, you know, poverty, for example, 
is that there's some moral failure of the individual. Uh, and, you know, like they didn't work hard enough or they were lazy or, um, you know, that, you know, that, that there's something that, that, that they failed to do to be successful. And we know that's not true, that there are a lot of structural issues within society that, um, uh, you know, create these conditions. And that, that's, and, and that's what progressives are, are, are keenly aware of. But that's where you do, you know, the, it's, I think it's convenient for the neoliberal perspective to invoke that conservative. I mean, there's been a marriage in this country since at least Reagan, if not before, between this neoliberal and conservative ideology. And it's been very strong and very hard to, to maneuver around. But, but I still think it's important, especially when we're talking about debates about our streets and in our cities, that there is a distinction, there is a nuance, and that that's an opportunity to uh, to promote bicycling, to promote reallocating our streets to a more sustainable and progressive mode of transportation. But uh, in San Francisco, uh, you know, it's very different than in L.A. Do we have the same I don't think arguments? so. Really? I don't think it's that different. I think it's of LA that have the same kind of progressive politics as San Francisco, but you got to remember that we're in a Bay Area, and when you think of us as the Bay Area, we're not that different. Oh. San Jose, but, have you spent time in San Jose? Not really. Or, or Silicon Valley, which is a very high growth part of the Bay Area. Um, you know, it's it's similar to. Uh, parts of of Greater Los Angeles. I think that that's that's one of the uh, the uh, you know the things that I've noticed in, in in this almost 20 years that I've been looking at transportation politics is that every city I go to, every city I spend time in, every city I study, you see the same progressive, neoliberal, conservative politics. There is a difference in the pronunciation. Yes, San Francisco has a longer history of a more cohesive, progressive transportation policy, but it's not the dominant. Um, we've got a lot of dysfunctional transportation problems, and we're hamstrung by extreme regional fragmentation. You know, we've got like I think 19 transit agencies. Um, uh, we can't even ride our bike to the East Bay over the bridge because of Caltrans, which is the same agency that you have down in LA. Um, I think that if you look at Long Beach, they're doing some pretty progressive things with bicycling, but and and even the, you know they're starting to do some things in Echo Park and downtown LA, Silver Lake, those areas. And you know, yes, they're very car oriented, but all things considered, I think the politics is similar to the progressive politics in San Francisco. Mm-hmm. It's an estimated well, percentages. Sorry. I, I was thinking that, you know, in terms of um, public planning and, and where you're going to put your money for, you know, for cars or for bikes, that just the conditions of San Francisco make bikes much more obvious place to put your money just because of how well, crowded it is. Yeah, but you see that crowding is also a barrier because what we have in San Francisco is this crazy juxtaposition 
where on the one hand now now right now I'm only talking about the city of San Francisco, which is seven miles by seven miles with eight hundred and thirty thousand people. So it's a very high density. Uh, but the density of the of the outer neighborhoods of San Francisco, the Excelsior Sunset, there's densities like that in, in Los Angeles, East LA, um, Hollywood, uh, West Hollywood, East Hollywood areas. The Wilshire Co- Corridor is actually extremely dense relative to to an, a typical American city. But um, the, the 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 juxtaposition here in San Francisco is that we have. On the one hand, we have a per capita car ownership rate of about uh, 0.5, or or another way to say it is 500 uh, per 1,000 persons. 500, I think it's 550 vehicles per 1,000 persons. That is uh, Western European car ownership rates. Um, in the, in the rest of the U.S., it's like 800. 700 or 800 to per 1,000 people. Uh, but in San Francisco, we have 550 to about a th- every 1,000 people. We also, if you look at it from a household car ownership perspective, um, about 30% of households in the city of San Francisco are car-free. Some of them, it's an income. But there are, we probably have one of the highest rates of, um, you know, discretionary car-free households, people who are choosing to live without a car but could otherwise afford a car. And that, those are some important metrics, 30% car-free households and about 550 per 1,000 per capita car ownership. But then we've got this juxtaposition. Even with those numbers, we have somewhere between eight and nine thousand cars per square mile, which is an incredibly high density of motorized vehicles in such a small amount of space. We are built out. There is nowhere to go. There's no, when you add a bus lane or a bike lane, you are are taking away car space, period. Mm-hmm. There is no other alternative. And so that actually makes the stakes much harder here. Block by block is a guerrilla war. Hmm. And, the incumbent, and the incumbent motorists believe that they are entitled to every square inch of the street and are, you know, many of them are hostile. And so they fight. And we have pitched battles throughout the city over scarce space. And 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 the thing that a lot of the car drivers don't get is that we're in a stalemate. And by doing nothing, let's say we just allow the cars to have the street space that they have now. By doing nothing, it is getting worse for everyone, including the car drivers. But if we take away car space and replace it with bus lanes and bike lanes, we make things better for bus bus passengers, which are which are a substantial portion of our city, 
and bicyclist, which is a very rapidly growing segment of our city. So we, we only have one real choice, and that is to take away car space. But it's not that easy. Now, you go to San Diego or you go to Austin, Texas, or you go to, you know, even to the suburbs of the Bay Area, and what they can do that you can't do in San Francisco is just throw in a bike lane on the shoulder. Mm-hmm. Or or their roads have such a big right-of-way already that they got room to put in a cycle track or something. Now, I'm not saying it's easy. It's still difficult in the suburbs, too. Uh, but but I, I hope you understand what I'm saying here is that despite our high rate of car-free households and low per capita car ownership, those who have cars here are extreme in their protection of the space that they have. And there are still lots of them. So it's, it's, uh, it's a very challenging city. And, um, you know, the, 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 uh, the politics here over cars and street space is vitriolic. Who's winning? Look at Portland, okay? Portland does not have the car density that we have. Portland's car density, I'm going to venture to say, is in the range of three to 4,000 per square mile. It's like Berkeley. It's like Pasadena. It's all craftsman cottages, you know, single-family homes, some multifamily homes, but and then there's this new downtown Stuff And that's all being crafted as it's built. So it's like it wasn't like there was an incumbent there and they went and took away the space, right? They're building these new high-rise developments on the south side of their downtown and on the north side of their downtown. And they're building it with the transit and with the bicycles and pedestrians in mind. Um, Who's winning? (laughs) Right now, it's a stalemate. Right now, it's a stalemate here. Um, there is, there is a whole nother dimension to this too, which is gentrification. San Francisco is a boom town right now in terms of these social network tech jobs. And there are people coming in from all over the country and they want to be in San Francisco because they want to ride a bicycle and walk. But they are they are driving up the rent, and so there is a backlash against livable urbanism that's complicating our debate here. So it's it's a very messy, uh, multi-layered politics, and and this takes me back to this ideological layout that I gave you. The, the progressive view of, of, of livability in terms of the built environment is very similar to where the neoliberals are going as well. The neoliberal view, you look at L.A., for example, you know, you've got these big developers that are more than happy to do transit-oriented infill with bike lanes. That's what attracts the new professional workers and the companies that hire them. So what you have here in San Francisco is a conflation of what is ostensibly a progressive built environment 
as the enemy of the working class because there's what's coming with it is displacement, gentrification. And there's this fear, which I don't think is unfounded, that the working class are being pushed into the car-oriented, sprawling outer suburbs where they that, that's the only place they can afford to live. And you have something like that in L.A. That's what the Inland Empire is, for the most part. Is uh, what? It's, it's poor it's people being... Increasingly where low, yeah, low, lower income, you know, families that, you know, are working class, and that's, the, that's where they can afford a house, is in Hemet, you know, which was ground zero for the mortgage lending crisis. So, um, you know, as a geographer, that, that's where I get into all these interesting questions like, you know, peak oil and climate change and sprawl and automobility and, um, you know, all of these things that uh, are all converging together or they're in cross currents and, uh, you know, wrapping your mind around all of this and trying to make sense of it and trying to, like, like work out policies that work is challenging. And then you've got, you know, political fragmentation of our metropolitan areas. And um, and then you've got a federal government that has been basically absent from creating a sustainable urban policy for this country. Uh, so you, you know, all the cities are left to kind of fend for themselves. So everybody likes to look, I, I digress a little bit, but everybody likes to look at Portland. And I think Portland's the greatest. I spent a lot of time there. But it's it it's single-family homes. It's lower density, and it's lower density car. It's lower car density, so the stakes are not as high. When you put in a traffic calming or a bicycle boulevard or you know some new bikeway in Portland, you're not affecting as many car drivers per you know unit of the facility per length of the facility as you are in San Francisco. We we basically created livability in this city and overlaid it with a car-oriented system. So it's really a good warning. It's a really, it's a good bellwether or warning for what happens if around the country we start to create these transit-oriented, walkable, bikeable communities that everybody's saying we need to do, but we cram them full of parking. And, you know, still accommodate cars. It's dysfunctional. The city, the dysfunction of this city is, a, is I think, is an example of uh, what could go wrong. Having said that, there, the city still has huge potential. Um, so it's an important place to watch. Um, but I think L.A. is fascinating, too. All right. Well, um, and not so too far behind. And you got a lot more room. You know, you have this magnificent grid that covers your entire, uh, like everything from the Santa Monica Mountains to Long Beach and from the Pacific Ocean to like, uh, you know, what is it? Whittier or, or like, uh, Corona or whatever. Just a grid, right? So you could just lay out a grid of cycle tracks and you would, 
it, it, it would probably be a bloody mess to do it, but you would not face the same density of cars that you have in L.A., I mean in San Francisco. Mm-hmm. You know, per, well, um, uh, do you keep in touch with, uh, is that what we're doing here? Is that what we're working on? What are we? <laughs> I, we I hope so. Um, I know that there's, you know, I, 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 my sense, and I, I don't know LA, it's the LA Bicycle Coalition. Uh, my yeah, sense LA is it's to work. Yeah, LA County. Is, is that, you know, it's, it's kind of working where it can, like where communities within LA are supportive of bicycling. So it seems to be working from, uh, the, the center outward, sort of like the downtown and the areas that are kind of closer to the downtown and then out towards the beach and, mm-hmm. and, and to the south. But, you know, I, and then I, you know, Long Beach has got its own thing going on. It's a, a separate thing. Um, you know, it's, it's impressive a little bit, but it's, it's still fragmented and it's really just along the coast of Long Beach, like along the, the first, you know, 10 blocks from the sea, from the, uh, I guess that's a bay there, but, um, but I think you're, you've got a, a, a vibrant new movement, and I think that, that one thing about LA that has struck me, and this is where maybe talking to Adonia, uh, which sheds some light, is that it is more multicultural, it seems, um, in, in LA. That, that, uh, that there's definitely a lot more of a Latino and, and other minority, uh, presence within the, at least that you see cycling, that you see biking. Um, that's not to say that there isn't that here, but there's something pronounced about it that, that I've kind of observed in, in Los Angeles. And does that make a difference in the, in the fight? I think it's important. I mean, you have, uh, what was that mayor's name, Villa Ragosa? Yeah. He was, uh, you know, he was, he, I think, wasn't he a proponent of, of cycling? Yeah, mostly after he got hit on a bike. Right. Um, but like these events, like these Ciclavia events, you know, they kind of bring, it was amazing. It was so diverse. Mm-hmm. I was, I was quite impressed. It's beautiful. It's a beautiful thing. And, uh, I don't know what, so this fight, um, in your book. Yeah. Um, it's interesting to think of it as, I mean, I don't know if everybody thinks of it as a fight. Is it, is it, do you think, ever think of it in terms of an ecosystem? An ecosystem? Yeah, like cars and bikes trying to compete for the same resources? No. I've never thought about it that way. Oh. No. Okay. Well then, then ignore that. I, I, you've piqued my interest. If, 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 if you can point me into something that I could read that would, uh, elaborate on that, I'd be curious. I don't know. Well, I mean, uh, you know, what, what feeds one, it, you can, you only have a certain amount of public money and you gotta give it to one or the other and they're sort of competing for, you know, just like, uh, populations of, and an ecosystem. I don't know. I just uh, we can just ecosystem ecosystems don't have politics. They're just they're you know they're just they're just like these natural systems that 
you know, have these cycles, you know, the water cycle, they, the nutrient cycle, the soil cycle, the animals eat each other, they have parasites and whatever. But but uh but our cities are, you know, inherently have embedded in them ideologies and values about how things should be and who should decide and there's deep contestation over that. So I, I tend to shy away from a more of an ecological explanation and think of it more in terms of uh, of just sort of uh, a very material politics, and I'm interested in the you know in how that uh, how that's well, playing out. Just as a last thought about that, though, uh, you know, it, it, ecosystems may not have politics, but they do have economics. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Anyway, look, I'm just getting started and theorizing and <laughs> written a whole book about it. But um, anything else you'd like to say? I feel like we're sort of in the last uh, lapse here. Well, um, I mean, I, I uh, you know, I, again, I, I, I see a lot of potential in Los Angeles. So I'm, I'm, uh, I'm not as close. Right. I'm not on the ground there. I don't know what your your various debates are in terms of street by street, but just from looking at it, it just seems like it's a it's a no-brainer. Well, like right now, we have something called the Hyperion Project, where they wanted to take this bridge that, that you know, it connects Atwater and, uh, I guess, Los Feliz or, you know, the, the local communities here and turn it into basically a 55-mile-an-hour uh, highway kind of a thing because it would get federal uh-huh. money. Yeah, if they do it. They're they're eligible for federal money, and it's been a huge battle with. Uh, and then there's another battle on Figueroa where you know they wanted to make a, a cycle lane, a cycle track, and then the the car company. I mean the the car business. The car dealers. Is, I saw that. I saw an article about that. Yeah. So we do have the fight, like just everywhere. Yeah. You know, ongoing. Yeah. Um, yeah. And it's fight by fight, but. You know, maybe if we were to unify somehow more effectively and and get our arguments straight, you know, get the winning arguments together. Mm-hmm. Uh, like, you know, we we do a little bit about that on Global Bike Talk with Kevin Maine from the European Cyclist Federation. Like, he'll say these are the kinds mm-hmm. of things that you need to say. You know, you need to talk mm-hmm. this way to these people. And I wonder if all of our bike groups are really uh, synchronized in that way mm-hmm. to 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 know what the most effective arguments that people are using around the world for bike advocacy are. Well, I, I mean, I think to that point, the the the, the California Bike Coalition, uh, I think they spend a lot of time kind of thinking about some of these issues, and they. I missed their most recent summit, which was up here in Oakland, but it was in November. But I believe that was on, you know, that was one of the themes. And then I, I think the the League of American Cyclists is also trying to grapple with that issue of, you know, how to how to move beyond just being seen as, you know, spandex or eccentric, and you know, show day practical, inexpensive socially just mode of transportation. So I think that there's, I think there's people really ad- addressing that. Uh, I mean, 
not necessarily offering the magic bullet, the silver bullet, but but talking about this stuff. And and so, uh, you know, I'm optimistic that we're going to see uh, maybe, maybe some better articulation of just exactly what the benefits of a bike-oriented city can be. All right. Well, and so I hope that this is a step in that direction, you know, this conversation okay. we're having. I mean, it is. So what a great so. stopping point. Thank you. Okay. For, uh, for this interview. All right. Well, I hope it helps. And uh, feel free to be in touch. And, um, you know, if you have a chance, I would encourage you to look up Street Fight. I will. I absolutely will. Thank you. Thanks for listening to this episode of Bike Talk. If you want to hear more, go to kpfk.org, navigate to programs, and choose Bike Talk. On the Bike Talk page, click on the archives link to play or download shows posted in the last four months. Go to biketalk.com and copy or click on the RSS feed link to subscribe. Our Twitter handle is BikeTalkPFK. On Facebook, we are Bike Talk. You can become friends and join our group.